morning. You guys look great this morning. Uh, hey, my name is Matthew, and it's an honor to have you here with us this morning. See some uh, new, fresh faces. Uh, so if we haven't introduced ourselves to you, or if I haven't introduced myself to you, um, you can meet me out there, and uh, we could chat. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians is in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters that he wrote to a church that he did not plant. Get my junk together here. There we go. Uh, To a church that he did not plant, but to a church that he uh, really, really loved. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. And it's going to be one of Paul's prayers for them. And so if you kind of remember over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of prayer, what the Bible says about prayer. And, and we've really looked at uh, kind of the means by which we pray, that prayers are always centered around God uh, and how prayers sometimes are, are me-centered, right? I'm the only one that has a me-centered prayer in this room this morning, I suppose, Um, but really the Bible teaches us a different way to pray. And that different way to pray is, is surrounded by who God is and what God's, what God wants, not just for you, but for his church and for his kingdom. And so I want us to look at a a prayer that I think would be beneficial for us as a church, uh, to take this prayer and to pray for our, pray, pray this prayer as a church. And so Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to pick it up in verse number 2. And here is the word of the Lord this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open for us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's one more time pray over the reading of God's word. God, I thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. I thank you, Lord, that many of us may have come in here this morning searching for some divine revelation. God, I thank you, Lord, that you just gave it to us, and it's in your word. We don't have to go searching and looking. All we have to do is just open up your Bible. And there you speak to us. There we find life. There we found our purpose. And there we find who you really are, God. So Lord, I pray that this word would um, just cut us to our hearts. And may we be not only just hearers of this word, but doers. And I pray that you would be mighty to save. In Jesus' name, amen. When it comes to prayer, as we have said many a times, uh, the Bible is very serious about prayer. Paul even says in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, that he wishes that the church would strive with him 
in prayer. The, the word strive, there's an interesting word when you use it for prayer. You, you strive in a battle. You strive in a football game. You strive in some type of sport. But rarely do we uh, put the word striving with that of our life of prayer. So Paul here is using this word devoted, striving towards this life of prayer. The Bible even says, pray without ceasing. So that means that our prayers really don't have an amen. We do a lot of things without ceasing, but we rarely strive, devote ourselves, pray without ceasing. We talk without ceasing. Amen. You're on social media without ceasing. You are working, some of you, without ceasing. Uh, You gossiping without ceasing. You're nagging without ceasing. All the parents should have said amen right there. We do a lot of things without ceasing, but really this idea of striving, stay devoted, pray without ceasing is kind of a foreign thing for us as believers. But there's a reason why the Bible would command us to strive, stay devoted, and pray without ceasing. Paul says, pray as you're watching. Pray that God will open a door for us. Make the best time or make the best use of the time. Be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you'll know how to talk to people. I feel like God put that in there for myself. So this is this idea that Paul is giving these Small little prayers that Paul has given to the church that I think that we could take away for us as believers and us contextually in a local church here in Cedar City. I love that one of the prayers that Paul prays and pray for open doors for us. I like what's not implied sometimes in the scripture. Paul doesn't say, hey, by the way, when you're praying, would you pray that I get out of prison? That would be Matthew Thrower's prayer if I'm in prison. Guys like me, we just don't do well in prison. Um, He doesn't say, pray me out of prison. He just says, hey, let's, let's pray for open doors. I would suggest that we're here because a result of a prayer that we prayed years ago, God opened up a door for us and for other families and for you and I to be here together today. That was a prayer that we prayed. And it took a global pandemic for God to use in order for us to be here because of the pandemic. My wife's job went remote because of the pandemic. We were walking a lot more in the evenings and some old guy would every, almost every night um, nag us about taking over a church building to which I said, we don't need a church building. And this was back in Georgia, the church we were started and we were pastoring. Eventually, we finally let him stop nagging us, and the church gave us a whole church campus to where the church I was pastoring was able to go debt-free, and it opened up a door then for God to release us out here, and the many of the families that came out here, it was a result of not their, um, their good work skills or whatnot. It was a result of God opening a door for them to be here. In Cedar City, why on earth would you plant a church in Cedar City? I don't know. 
But we did because God opened a door. And here's what I would suggest to you. You are here as a result of not because you landed here because you thought this was a cool place to live or because your backyard's view is like majestic. You're here because God opened up a door for you to be here. And he has a purpose for you to be here. There's a few things that I want to take apart uh, in this, this prayer that Paul prays. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, devotion to prayer recalls the disciples' early times uh, when the church had started. In a few verses in Acts 1.14, this is right after the ascension of Jesus. While the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, they said, these all with one mind were continually devoted. They devoted themselves to prayer. I like how they, they throw this in, along with the women and Mary, mother of Jesus. It's like prayer's not just for the dudes. Amen. Amen. And men, y'all should, y'all should take heed to that because I know more praying women than I do more praying men. And that ought to be a shame, right? Because that's, I'm talking to myself, I ain't talking to nobody else. Acts 2.42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And Acts 4 and 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it doesn't say that prayer is all you do. Like you're not going around Smith's or Walmart, you know, just like Jesus, help us for Jesus, you know. Like somebody may look at you with like some kind of weird eyes if that's you. Now, maybe you should do that. I don't know, because Walmart folks are crazy. But maybe you shouldn't. He's not suggesting that every single word that comes out of your mouth must be a prayer towards God. That's not what devoted to prayer means. It means that your life is marked by your prayer life. Man, like I'm just reading this and I feel, I don't know, maybe like a, a jab in my soul, right? The Bible's commanding me, telling me, stay devoted to prayer. And I know we all struggle with this. I mean, there may be some of you who don't struggle with prayer, but I know a lot of us, we struggle with this. And and I would suggest one of the reasons why some of us struggle with the idea of devoting yourself to prayer is really it goes back to what we've been talking about and it's our view of God. And not just our view of God, but our view of how God views us also. It's hard for us to believe that God, the creator of the universe, would delight and his children. It's hard for me to believe that. Like when I've, if someone has done me wrong, you know, like I'm, like I'm side skirting. I'm, I'm not, I'm avoiding that person, right? Amen? Or y'all the more sanctified folk who like, oh, you wronged me. Come here, let's be brothers once again. I'm like, nah, man. Somebody, somebody wronged me. I'm going the opposite direction. But think about this though. And that person's probably like avoiding me too. 
But think about this. What the Bible would describe as you pre-Christ as an enemy of God, how he finds you, how he rescued you, how he saved you, now that he delights in you, like we, like we would think that God would want to avoid us because of the wrongness of our sin. But that's not who God is. God delights in his children. And one thing that would do for us as children of God is that we should stay more devoted to him in a God who delights in you. In a God who, what one of the prophets said, would sing over you. And a God that would display his mercies for you every single morning, that God is the one who delights in you. And a motivation for us in prayer isn't that you should pray more, you should pray more, you should do this. A motivation for us to stay devoted into prayer is that God in heaven delights in his children. That should be a motivation for us when it comes to staying devoted to prayer. And then there's a couple of words that I want to just pick out um, for us this morning. He says this, pray, watch, and thank God. There's, in my point of view, one word that just doesn't fit there. Which word would it be? Watch, right? Pray, watch, and thank God. Watch, watch. Why would you be watching as you're praying? There's an idea here that Paul is giving us to the church that many times we believe that prayer is something that we just kind of, we are secluded. We, we stay in our little closet. We don't want others to benefit from our prayer life. Our prayer life is just about me and the privatization of my faith. It's just my prayer life. But if Paul is telling us to watch as we pray, there's this idea that you are to be aware as you're praying of the needs of those who are around you. As you are praying, you are looking for needs to meet. As you are praying, you are looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Christ as you pray. I've probably shared this story before. I don't know if I've shared it here yet, but me and Marina, um, we, we have this preacher friend and, and he has this, this altar call. And his altar call is every head's bowed, every eye closed. Y'all ever heard those type of altar calls? And he wasn't budging until every single eye was closed. Mainly because it was me. My eyes weren't going closed. We deadlocked eyes on one another. Eyes closed. I'm like, I'm not budging. Finally, it got annoying. I bowed my head, but I still didn't close my eyes. Why, why do we pray with our eyes closed? You ever wondered that? Now, I know like there are some benefits to it. Like you kind of forget about all the things that are around you because there's so many distractions. Again, I'm not on physical positions of how we pray because it's more about the posture of our heart. But there's kind of a position in how we pray in this little letter to the Colossians that Paul tells us, as you are praying, keep your eyes open. 
so that you don't miss all of the opportunities around you, so that you don't miss all of the needs that are all around you. How many times do we just think that our prayer life is just for me, myself, and I'm going to pray in my little closet, which, by the way, I don't know anybody who prays in an actual closet, but we pray to ourselves as the world is chaotic, erupted in flames. Oh, God, would you please just send somebody That's our prayer, right? Oh, Lord, would you just send somebody to help these people? I wonder how God sometimes is thinking up there, you know what I mean? Like he's like, I am sending someone. It's you. There's a direct correlation correlation to why Paul is saying this because he was perhaps afraid that the church would not grow necessarily in apathy towards the culture around them, but just grow weary. I mean, think about the persecutions that are around them. Think about all the things that are happening around them. And there's a tendency in the early church's heart for them just to grow weary about what all is happening. The evil emperor in Rome is doing nothing but persecuting us and overtaxing us. So there was, this, there was this tendency for the church that they could grow weary in all of this. But Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to grow weary in your prayer. I want you to grow watchful in your prayer. It sounds a lot like the church of America today, how things are all chaotic around us and how it would be easier for us just to avoid all of the conflict and to avoid all of the craziness that's all around us. It would be easy for us to avoid the poverty. It would be easy for us to avoid the unjust. It would be easy for us to avoid all of the crazy political things that are happening in our world. Yeah, it'd be easy for us to do that. But Paul is telling us and challenging us as you pray, you're watching so you are being able to see the hurting, see all of the things that need to be addressed by the church. So we Watch as we pray. Not only are we watching, but we're praying for doors to open. Man, this is, this is crazy because, you know, I feel like Paul could have easily said, yeah, pray for the prison door to be open, right? Paul could have said, y'all, I've been, I've been in this cell for a long time. It'd be really nice. Maybe y'all could send a love offering up here. Or, or maybe he could have been like one of the, you know, like one of the American pastors and he'd be like, hey, could y'all pray that we buy like a jet? Because that'd be really cool. Because we can like go all around the world. You know what? Like maybe you can, you can, you can seed me a love offering so that I can get out of jail and build a mansion. That'd be really good. Paul doesn't do that. He's just asking for God to open up doors Like, what kind of doors are we talking about here? He's not even talking about the physical prison door. He's talking about doors for the gospel to advance. I mean, this man is in prison. And prison in the Roman Empire wasn't like you get this little cot and you get a cushy bed and a good meal served to you every day. It was nasty and cold. This was was 
torture for these people. And they're just sitting in the cell. And Paul isn't even concerned about his own need. Paul is more concerned about the kingdom need. And the kingdom need for the church was that God would open up more doors so that the gospel could advance. And so that the kingdom message could penetrate the Roman Empire so that Emperor Nero would understand he's not the one in charge anymore. He's asking God, open up some doors. What kind of doors are we asking as a church? What kind of doors are you asking in your individual life for God to open? Again, I want to press, this isn't about your individualistic needs. You wanting the bigger house is not about the door that Paul is talking about. You wanting the better job, the nicer clothes, the better relationship, the, the, the better spouse. This isn't the door that Paul is talking about. Paul's more concerned about the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's asking the church, would you join me in praying? Can we get some open doors up in here? So what kind of prayers are you praying? And if you're praying for God to open up a door, what are you asking him? What kind of door are you open, asking God to open for you? Sometimes we're marked by inconvenience. So like the door is wide open. God brings people in our life all of the time for us to share the good news of Jesus, for us to share the love and the grace of our God. But we're so inconvenienced that that door is sitting right over there open and we're just like, you know what, I'm going to stand right here. I'm good right here. I'm comfortable, I'm fine. Me and my family, we're over here. Somebody else can walk through that door. It'd be all right. God's placing all of these doors around us. What kind of doors? Are we praying for God to open up doors for our church? And then he says, can he proclaim it clearly? Like proclaim what, right? He's talking about, again, this kingdom message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be advanced throughout all of the Roman Empire and throughout all of the world, through every nation. I think the church for so long has been good at like um, communicating things. We just haven't been communicating the thing, right? The first thing, the, the kingdom message of God's rule and reign now. We're real good about proclaiming things that people shouldn't do. You shouldn't do that. We should on people all the time. A friend of mine uses that term, and I've kind of adopted it in my own language. Like, like we always shouldn't on somebody. Stop shouldn't on people. We've got to be clear in what we are communicating I mean, we're clear in what we're communicating, but are we clear in communicating the right thing? You know, sometimes we churches, we want to be clear about communicating eschatology. Y'all know what that is? If you don't, good. It's the study of end times. Well, I believe that Jesus is going to come back, then we're going to suffer, or the suffering's going to happen, and this is going to do this, this is going to take place. And you take it all just from one single verse. And then we get so hurt because somebody doesn't believe in our way of eschatology. That's the wrong message that the world's not even asking for you to talk about. Jesus is coming. There, solved it. There's your eschatology. How, why, when, where, what, I don't know. Write a commentary about it. I'll read it and let you know my opinion. 
Are we clearly communicating the right thing? The right thing is the love of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came as a man and lived fully God, fully man, and died for our sins, died in your place, took the wrath and the judgment of God upon himself. And three days later, he rose rose from the grave. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the message Paul is saying, God, would you help us clearly communicate this out to the world? And why is he so adamant about this? Again, this is Roman Empire. This is Caesar is king. Caesar is little God. And for this message to reach Caesar would have been a slap to his face. It's the euangelion, the message, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus there's a new sheriff in town and his name ain't Nero and he's not a Caesar. He's the God of all creation. Then he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of their time. Verse six says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love this little part right here. Be wise about how you deal with the outsider. Be wise with how you deal with the outsider. That would be a prayer for us as a church, that we be a church for the outsider, for the people out there, not just for the people in here. That we be a people and a church for those who are on the outside margins of society. It says, make best use of time. This is something that I think we all can be guilty of at times, is that the idea of doing things that we think we ought to be doing, but we shouldn't, I just showed it on you, uh, that we, we probably shouldn't be doing. I don't know how I'm going to get around that one, but anyway... <laughs> right? Like I'm guilty of doing things that I really shouldn't be doing, but I find myself busying myself with, with other useless things. Paul's prayer for the church is that they would be maximizing their time for the best benefit for the kingdom of God. How are we using our time for the kingdom of God? How are we using what he says here? How are we making the best use of our time for the kingdom of God. And how do we do that? Well, it's, it's simple. It's by being gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, this idea of salt, I know we've probably all heard the sermon of be salt and light, and salt is this preservation of things. And so there's this idea that when they would talk about being salty, it's not the idiom and how we would use it in our culture today. Ever heard the, the use of the term, you just salty, right? Did somebody ever called you that? Man, you're just being really salty today. That's not, a, that's, that's not a good thing, right? It means you're just being a turd in modern translation. Um, <laughs> welcome to church. Um, so, so being salty is this kind of this negative thing uh, in our culture, like you're just... Man, you're just, 
so wonderful to be around, right? And it's not. Nobody likes you, actually. But, but to be full of salt, and this salty idea was, was that they had this relevance in their language. So when he's telling them to, to be salty, it was like, um, use, use these ideas and, and words that the culture would understand. Don't give them the big thee and thous. Don't give them the big theological constructed ideas that nobody's going to understand yet. Speak on their level. Be salty with them. Be, speak on, on where they are. Meet them where they are. And then we get to the deep theological waters of who God is. Maybe for us as a church, we have to learn the culture around us and figure out the way to communicate to them that meets them where they are. I feel like Paul wrote this for Refuge City Church in Cedar City, Utah, and for every other church that's planted in the state of Utah. To find the language of the people around you and meet them there. And then slowly lure them into the deep waters of who God is and who Jesus really is. I like this, a church that's devoted to prayer, a church that's always being watchful, a church that is continuously asking God to open doors, a church that's for the outsider, a church always doing what is right, and a church that's full of grace. In the Old Testament, there was this idea that the watchmen were situated and positioned on the towers, and they were always on post. In the ancient world at large, large watchtowers were placed overlooking the field so that everyone can see who comes in and who goes out, what kind of transactions are taking place within the city and what kind of transactions are happening out of the city walls. And the, the watchmen would know and study and, and learn the movements of everybody around them as he watched with his eyes open and he carefully monitored every movement, every person going from this place to that place. Imagine what they would see. Imagine probably some of the good things they'd see. And if you could imagine in a grotesque ancient world, some of the nasty things that these watchmen would have to sit at their post and watch as these things took place. This is the idea that Paul gives. Watch. As if we are believers who are not taking ourselves out of culture, but at times we find ourselves positioned on the watchtower, on the watchtower of society, watching and seeing where is their need. Watching and, and seeing where can the church step in and show the political governments of our day that there is a better way? Where can the church step up on the watchtower and, and see the atrocities of what happens at Planned Parenthood and say, let's go step in and make a difference over there? Where's the church at on the watchtowers? Not just in the fields, not just doing life in 
the community, which is incredibly essential, but where are the people who are watching on the watchtowers? May we be a church who's devoted to pray, who's always being watchful, who's out for the outsider, who's being full of grace and full of salt and light. So I thought what we could do is we could pray these prayers. We could just pray these simple few prayers together, just in your seat, and we just pray together as a church. This first prayer, help us to be devoted to prayer. Can we pray that? God, would you help us be devoted to prayer? May our lives not be marked by the cultural successes of this life, but when we step foot into eternity with you, would we be marked by, this is my child. He was devoted to a life of prayer. And let's pray for God to open doors for our church and for us individually. So God, we pray, would you open doors for us? Man, and I don't know how big that can be and I don't know how grand that can look, but I know that you can do exceedingly abundantly far more than I can ask or think. So God, when I'm asking you to open a door, we are pleading and begging, asking God, open a big door for us as a church. Not so that people can say, oh, look at those people, but so people can say, look how big their God is. Look how great and grand King Jesus is for them. Let's pray that we would be watchful, that we would be able to see the needs around us so that we wouldn't be and grow old together and into a, a, this is just our little gathering of people. Nobody else is welcome. We've got our four walls. May we never grow into that, but may we grow out of that and, and grow into a people who are always watchful in seeing and not just seeing, but meeting the needs of our community. So help us to be watchful. Help us to be a church for the outsider. Man, what a tendency it is for us just to be a church for the people who are like us. But God, help us to grow in that. For the people of all ages, of all ethnicities, of of all that we could come in here as what Revelation chapter seven would call forth that I saw every tribe, every nation seated around the throne with one message, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May we be a mirror reflection of that, Revelation 7. God, help us to to be a church full of grace. Be a church seasoned with salt. Be a church that, that can get on with the people in this community that we can speak to their level and speak the truths of your gospel. Help us in that, God. So Lord, we just ask that you help us in all of these things. And I pray for everybody here. If there are people here that need you, God, for salvation, would you bring salvation to them right in their seat? Man, what a story would be. Yeah, I got saved at a Megaplex movie theater. Yeah, I pray you do that, God. Yeah, my marriage was restored in a movie theater. Yeah, my life was mended back together. So I was listening to this crazy guy talk in a movie theater.
That's an open door, God, we ask you to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond in worship one more time. If you need prayer, Miss Kathy will be down there, and I'll be seated over here if you need prayer. And they're going to lead us into worship again. Thank you.